Welcome to A Priest and a Rabbi, another episode. Today, it is uh, with great pleasure that we bring on one of our most beloved institutions here in Martin County and certainly beyond, uh, the organization known as, as Safe Space, who offers support and help and uh, guidance through domestic violence. Um, and it is my pleasure to welcome on our program today, Michelle Tysinger, who is the um, Assistant Director of Operations and Outreach uh, for the institution. Uh, and she's gonna join us this morning and kind of talk through, you know, what is safe space and, 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 and how has domestic violence uh, really, really um, um, uh, been very detrimental in our society? And, 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 and effectively, what are the programs and the uh, institutions and opportunities that are out there that provide help, guidance, and support for those that are uh, in great challenge and in great need? Uh, so we're going to welcome Michelle Tysinger today, uh, look through some of those challenges that persist itself in our own area and certainly uh, beyond, and, and, and really, you know, what the hope is in terms of you know, moving forward and trying to alleviate and eradicate a, a, a lot of uh, domestic violence as we are in Domestic Violence Month of October. Uh, and, and, and effectively, what that term means, domestic violence, that it's not just about uh, physical uh, abuse, that it's emotional abuse, it's verbal abuse, it's elder abuse, it's financial abuse, you know, really trying to define what it is and, and really what the hope and the future is uh, in our area. Uh, and I am, I, I am very proud uh, to bring in Safe Space, for they have also been uh, a partnering organization with us as a synagogue, um, and of course with, uh, with, with St. Mary's as well, with Father Anderson. I know that we are uh, deeply involved with, uh, with the institution, but um, I'm excited to learn a little bit more and uh, you know, to, to hopefully have others inspired and um, to try and help and to try and support uh, such an amazing organization like Safe Space. So join us as we untap, un unpack and certainly tackle a difficult issue, a challenging issue of domestic violence in our midst. WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bay Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or a Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Good morning, Stuart, Florida. It is uh, a priest and a rabbi this morning, uh, although minus a priest, as uh, we wish Father Anderson uh, all the best. Uh, I know that he is off. Uh, he is off um, um, uh, taking some time uh, for himself and for his family. Uh, but it is wonderful to see and to experience, you know, yet another day in paradise here in South Florida. Um, I'm real excited about today's program. Um, and for those that may not be aware, uh, it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month uh, that we find ourselves in for the last, uh, for the last few vestiges. Uh, for that matter, you know, as we, as we end our month of October, 
but I have a very special guest, and um, I know we have a very special relationship, as I'm sure St. Mary's does as well, <laughs> but certainly at Temple Bay Hayam, uh, we have a very special relationship that we share with Safe Space, um, one of our uh, most beloved organizations here in the Treasure Coast, and I have with us, um, I have with us Michelle Tysinger, who is the who is the uh, Assistant Director of Operations and Outreach. Uh, Michelle oversees the day-to-day -day administrative operations and the outreach advocacy and case management programs. Uh, she has joined Safe Space Martin County Shelter staff in 2014 as an advocate providing trauma-informed support services to persons and people who are victims of intimate partner violence. Uh, Michelle possesses extensive knowledge and experience working with best practices with government and social service agencies on the Treasure Coast. Uh, she is a certified Florida Victims Services Practitioner through the offices of the Attorney General and a certified core competency trainer with the Florida Department of Children and Family Services. Uh, she has received a BS in Business Management from Barry University, and throughout her career, she has worked in community outreach and family engagement. She is the proud mother uh, of two daughters, uh, one uh, of which uh, we are real, certainly very proud of, uh, who happens to be our new uh, our new youth group director, as well as our media consultant here at the Temple. So, Michelle, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here in October, which is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, to talk a little bit about what we do, how we assist, and how we would like to see this movement, you know, progress and move forward. Thank Absolutely. You. You know, um, and, and for those that may not be aware, uh, just just to toot uh, our, our temple's uh, horn for one brief moment is that, um, you know, I, I came to this congregation about seven and a half years ago, um, and nothing gives me greater pleasure uh, than on our High Holy Days, which is uh, uh, the most solemn and holy time of, um, of the Jewish calendar, is that we do a big drive every year. Uh, for non-perishable items and for toiletries and for hygienic products and that, you know, all the stuff that others in our community uh, and beyond are in need of. Um, and we heavily push it. Um, um, I do believe, I could be wrong, but I do believe that we are the largest producer uh, of, of um, um, toiletries and, and items for safe space um, on an annual basis. And we we are just so thrilled uh, and, and, and really very humbled to be able to partner with such an amazing organization that helps so many in our community. Um, and I guess to just kind of start it off, Michelle, you know, just two things. One, uh, just to learn a little bit about your background uh, and certainly a little bit of background of Safe Space, just for those uh, who may not be familiar or have heard uh, of the institution and the organization, you know, um, uh, what can you tell us about Safe, uh, Safe Space? Okay, Safe Space has been the only state-certified domestic violence center on the Treasure Coast for almost 42 years now. So I think people, you know, don't often know what we do, and and that happens because domestic violence happens behind closed doors, and I think the work behind that often doesn't get noted as much. But we have been, we've had shelters in all three counties: Indian River, St. Lucie, and Martin. Um, Right now, we currently have a 60-bed shelter in Martin County, and then we are reopening our shelter in Indian River. But that's such a minor part of what we do. So I think, you know, when I try to explain what we do to people, it's really advocacy services, and we provide so much more than shelter space. 
even though we know that that's our crisis center, we have hotline operators on call every day, 24 seven, um, to assess you, to talk you through anything that you're going through. Uh, I think last year we took fielded three over 3,400 calls, hotline calls to our service center in our tri-county area. So we are one of 41 domestic violence centers in the state, which um, says a lot that we serve a pretty big demographic of people. Um, mm. Our advocacy services last year alone, we probably were at almost 2,800 safety plans that were done with victims of domestic violence in our service area. So I think some of the things really focus on um, reframing what we think about when we think about domestic violence. So we don't just have victims call. I, uh, there were 500 and I want to say 64 calls to law enforcement in Martin County alone last year for domestic violence that were reportable and were an offense. There's so many more that don't call or that law enforcement can't do anything because they can't determine who where the person is that committed the crime or what to do. So we really walked through all of those instances with survivors. We help mothers with children. I, um, we've seen an incredible uptick in male um, victims of domestic violence over the last four or five years, probably more through this pandemic. Mm. We really look at every aspect of power and control and how we can support victims mm. and really and within huh. our community. And I, I think it's also really important, Michelle, as you just mentioned, that you know, domestic violence is not just you know, women who are being assaulted or women that are being abused, although I would assume that the, the, the large majority would be, but that, um, and, and especially you know, for others to have their eyes open that you know, men also get abused, uh, both verbally, uh, physically, um, whether it be by spouses or by, uh, by others in, you know, in, in their circles. Um, that, that it affects all of us uh, in, in, in a variety of different ways. And I think that we also need to be aware that domestic violence in and of itself is not just physical, um, that it is verbal, it is emotional, it is the breaking down of, of um, it's the breaking down of, of, of the human will. I mean, it's, it's, it's breaking it so that, you know, in some way that one um, conforms in some way to what others would want uh, in a in a in a very controlling type of way. Um, well, what what brought you to Safe Space? I mean, what, 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 you know, given your background and you know your passion and intensity, what 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 brought you to Safe Space? Well, I think I mean, first of all, I was um, a mom here in Martin County raising my two daughters, as you mentioned, and I think when they got to high school, and I really started to look at, I'd like to get back into working full time and. I always volunteered for a lot of agencies locally, but this was a job that kind of called to me. And I had not, and as most people my age, I had not experienced domestic violence. People don't talk about it. I couldn't honestly say I knew someone who experienced domestic violence that had ever shared that with me. But when I got into this work, it was so bizarre to me that all of these victims of a crime were here and no one saw it as a crime unless there was harsh physical violence, even mild physical violence to some people was met as a misdemeanor. And I couldn't reconcile 
for myself, how are we not as a society looking at this for what it is and why are, are there not more systems in place to help victims? Mm. So as I continue to grow, and, and like you said, we serve a lot of victims who are not necessarily victims of crime yet or what the law enforcement determines to be crime. So there's financial abuse and all other things that go into power and control and how do we help them and how I worked with a lot of survivors who were affluent, who were going through horrible divorces where there was a level of coercive control where laws did not identify that yet. And you could see it, but we couldn't, there was nothing put in place to really help those people that were going through that. So I, it just became such a passion. And I think once you really get involved and look at it that way and see all of these people that are in your community and part of your everyday life that are suffering and have no avenue to reach out for help. So it really became my mission to make sure everyone I knew knew about Safe Space and knew about the advocacy services and that there was hope and that, you know, that they could become resilient. And we expanded our support groups to meet diff many different people to be able to accommodate different times of the day so people could come safely or privately. Mm. And it really has evolved into a lifestyle choice. I can't imagine doing anything else. Oh, wow. Wow. It's amazing. If, if, um, and Michelle, just to bring it back a little bit in terms of um, expanding or defining the term domestic violence, because I think, I think that for, for some, it, it, it may just conjure up these, these, these thoughts and these feelings that it is physical or it is verbal and it's only for, you know, young people or married couples or relationships that in terms of defining in terms of elder abuse, in terms of taking advantage of others, right? Um, how do how does safe space define domestic violence? How do we define that? We define any form of domestic violence to be any form of power and control within a relationship financial abuse, we know that 70% of victims of domestic violence suffer financial abuse. So we look at financial abuse, we look at isolation, we um, really try to look holistically at the whole situation. Is there a level of power and control? Can you come and go as you please? Do you feel safe in your home? Verbal and emotional abuse, it, that was also one of the things when I first started this work, you just assume every victim to come in battered and bloody and that does happen but more and more as I did the work more victims were calling and they were gaslighted and they were saying I know I left something I took a picture with it on, on my phone and this is where it was or um, perpetrators or abusers were putting cameras in the home and watching them all the time so really looking at that emotional abuse and they would say, you know, the emotional abuse worse. And I thought that can't, I'm looking at you and, you know, you're physically injured. How can that be? And I, I really had to stop and equate it back to, you know, when I was young and raising young women, I always taught my children, don't let someone hit you. You know, we, they grew up knowing you, you know, no one can be physical with you, but I never really addressed, don't let someone tell you, you look fat in those jeans or go change your shirt or really talked about their, how other people treated their self-worth and made them feel safe and confident. 
And for a lot of people, especially um, young women who've grown up in homes where there has been domestic violence, they are 70% more likely to experience domestic violence as adults and power and control because oftentimes it never becomes physical. Mm. But have you, mm. have you, have you, have you experienced, um, um, you know, for lack of a better term, like the battered wife syndrome where, you know, the spouse will say, if you leave, you'll never see your children again. You'll never do this, which, which we, we know is just not the case. Um, and, and obviously with law enforcement and courts and judicial systems that, you know, that's not the case, but that power and that control that says, if you leave, you cannot leave. Um, and, and trying to re-educate or inform those victims to be able to say, you're in a safe space, we're here to help. Um, have you experienced some of those traumatic experiences before? Oh, absolutely. And I think a good bit of our work is focuses around survivors that have left or are in the process of trying to leave abusive relationships, but have children. And they mm -hmm. know that once I'm gone, most likely in the state of Florida, most judges are going to look for shared custody at some point, and there's always going to be some level of time sharing, and she can't prove. There's no visible proof that she's been isolated or emotionally abused and, and belittled and treated poorly and has no financial independence for years. So how do you, in good faith, say, okay, I'm going to leave and he's going to be able to have my children every other week and I won't know what's going on. So being able to really work with them to learn the coping skills and the resilience to say, okay, we get it, but you're going to know this abusive person for the rest of your life. Because we all know, even with divorce, children grow up, but you don't stop knowing the other partner. They have children and there's family events. And how do you do that? Because very few domestic violence offenses end up with someone incarcerated long-term. Mm or even separated from their children. Yeah. Um, so Michelle, walk me through, walk me through, if you wouldn't mind, you know, the process in and of itself, right? I, I call safe space. I'm not in a safe space where I am um, and I need help and I, I need support. Uh, clearly, obviously I would, you know, as, as we're all aware, situations that arise in these instances obviously are taken with strictness of confidentiality um you know walk me through how how safe space offers their their facilities their programs and their support how does that work okay absolutely so if you um as a family member a victim somebody who would like information we have our hotline so you would call the hotline speak to a hotline operator they would ask, and it is really having a conversation. We're not grilling you for information. We don't need names. Everything we do is confidential and private, but we are going to ask, tell me what's going on. You know, do you have a minute? Let's really talk about how we can help and what we can do to provide you services. For some people, they may call the hotline every week for two years before they ever feel confident enough coming into services but and that's why we're there we are there to have a conversation inform them about what we do we do not expect every survivor who calls us to say i need shelter and i want to leave my spouse you know i've worked with women for and some men but typically um 
the larger number, like you said earlier, is women for years who planned an escape, who, you know, we worked with them to get a storage unit, to move things slowly, buy a car to put it in the storage unit, to really be able to leave at some point years later where she finally felt confident. We researched areas in other parts of the country to find where she would be able to work and um, be able to leave, but some never leave. So that maybe they want to meet with an advocate and build up that resilience and meet with someone who is trauma-informed, who can talk them through. Some um, choose to come to support groups. We have support groups in all three counties. And I happen to really think support groups are a great avenue for survivors. I think it opens the door to a lot of people to feel more confident and hear other people's stories. But domestic violence is such an individual crime that no two stories are the same. I still, I've been here with Safe Space a little over seven years, and I am still amazed every week that somebody calls and says what they're going through, some level of isolation or starvation, or even just, I've been in a relationship 30 years, and I can't have my phone. I can't call the people I want to call. Mm. So I, that's our starting point is the hotline. And then we assess we also have attorneys on hand that handle injunctions for protection because we know most people are afraid of shelter. I will say our shelter's fabulous. <laughs> you know, I know most people don't get to see it because we are in this undisclosed location, but it's great. We have wonderful kitchens. It's very home-like setting participants. Um, sometimes share a room during COVID. We minimize that a little bit. So your family is in a room alone. There's great playgrounds. You are not bound by curfews. You can come and go as you please. So I think when people think of shelter, they think of these open areas with beds all over, and it is not at all like that. And and, and with, with 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 the shelter and 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 the facilities that that uh, you know Safe Space offers, um, you know how long uh, it, it, it can one anticipate? You know if I if one leaves their abusive relationship or their abusive home. And they and they seek shelter. How long can they stay there? So our shelters are typically um, an eight week stay, and it depends on what you're doing. It some people come in and they just need that respite. They just need to leave the abusive relationship and take time to regroup. There are some people who come in who really want to do a lot of stuff. So we have case managers on staff to really help them look through. Most survivors who have left um, an abusive relationship leave with nothing. So even just getting birth certificates, getting copies of their driver's license or ID to be able to go to work. Uh, an enormous amount of survivors have never worked. It, has, it wasn't allowed in their relationship and reproductive rights were not there. So we may have a mom come in with six children who's never had a job. And we really have to talk through the realities of how is this going to look for you? Because even if you get a job, now you have six kids and you have no transportation and what can we do and how can we support that? There's no limit to how many times you can come to shelter. So if you've been there, you can come back as many times as you feel like you need. We know most survivors statistically, it takes seven times of leaving a relationship to actually leave for good and actually put all of those processes in place because eight weeks is not a long time mm -hmm. to really. And, and do you see with, with, with 
some who do come in for, say, an eight-week stay, and maybe they go back and then they come back again. Um, you know, I, I assume that there, there's a lot of follow-up with law enforcement just to make sure that, you know, if they do come back in terms of making sure that there is, um, there's follow-up in terms of, you know, ensuring safety and, and, and health of those to whom you're, you're serving? So if, we're, if there's been physical violence, even if there was a short-term arrest and they may have pled out, we have the ability through our injunction for protection attorneys to often get a civil injunction, which most judges will do for about two years to keep the abusive partner out of the family home that they were in. Um, and that's as much as I would like to say it's the norm, it's really not because there's not always an arrestable offense and there's and it's hard for judges to determine coercive control and emotional abuse. And even though she's saying it, you or he is saying it, you know, a judge has to weigh what seems best. So in a perfect world, if they came in, that's the first process we would do. We would try to get them to work with a injunction for protection attorney, hopefully get them back into their home because most people would much prefer to be in their home. So that typically is one of the first things we look at if it's possible. If have it's you, enough. have you, have you ever seen Michelle, um, you know, an instance where perhaps in a family unit, you have, um, you know, both parents that are abusive to a child and the child reaches out to you to say, this just doesn't seem right, or this doesn't seem healthy. I, both my parents are abusive. I need help. Or is that a referral to another institution, another organization? I if if a child disclosed, and we do um, children assessments in shelter, if they disclose that parents were abusive to each other, then we would work through the abusive the parent that we were working with because and it may seem that way if you are um, defending yourself, it may seem to a child that both partners are abusive. And it often does with law enforcement where they have gotten much better and do a great job really separating the part the parties when they come out to determine who is the aggressor and where did this start? Because you most people will defend themselves. With children, if that were to come up, it'd be more likely to come up in our youth prevention program where we go into all of the Martin County middle schools and um, several after school programs to talk about healthy relationships. If it rose to a level where we um, felt the need to contact Department of Children and Families, we would. And we have, we all are mandated reporters with the state. So we do have that requirement if we felt like there was abuse in the home. Oh, well. So um, we are uh, listening to a priest and a rabbi this morning with Michelle Tysinger out of uh, Safe Space here in Martin County. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, delve a little bit deeper into some of the programs and the educational opportunities that Safe Space offers and, and looking towards the pandemic that we find ourselves in that seems to be the never-ending pandemic in terms of what, you know, has this increased or created more challenges uh, and, and looking towards uh, the hope and the future. So join us as we uh, take a quick break.
Hey everyone, it's Evan Nine, producer of A Priest and a Rabbi. Thank you for tuning in and being part of this community. We love developing new partnerships with this podcast to help further the interfaith movement. To join us, please email Father Christian at yourfavoritechristian at gmail.com. You can have an advertisement right here on this podcast, which is currently heard across the USA and in 34 other countries. Thanks for being here, and do not forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening from. Now back to A Priest and a Rabbi. Welcome back to the award-winning Priest and a Rabbi radio show with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin. Let's get ready for the second half of the show. Welcome back to a priest and a rabbi. Um, uh, minus a priest this morning, but it is uh, um, uh, just an, an amazing morning. I, I, I'm, I'm really quite inspired and um, um, quite uplifted in some way to be able to learn more about uh, an institution to which uh, we support as a Jewish congregation, as many of our church organizations support as well. Um, you know, here talking with Safe Space and uh, Michelle Kai Singer, Director of uh, Services and Outreach uh, for the institution. Um, Michelle, as we go back again, just kind of looking at, you know, some of the educational programs um, for both for our youth, for adults, for those who uh, encounter domestic um uh, domestic violence, both verbal, uh, emotional, physical, um, you know, how, uh, well, what type of programs are available uh, for those that are out there? Okay, I, we do, our youth prevention program, I think, is one of the things that has um, the most impact on the movement of eradicating domestic violence, which we know we probably will never do, but I think it does start young. So we have a youth prevention specialist who works with the Department of Children and Families and Children's Services Council here locally. Uh, our program is devised of eight weeks of really going into the middle and high schools to talk about healthy relationships and really do a deep dive every week. And at the end, they do a retrospective survey to look at, was there any growth? Have Did you have the ability or are you able to see some of the things you may not have seen and what makes a relationship healthy or unhealthy? I think over the years, red flags have always been prevalent, but we really try now to um, refocus that a little bit to look at those green flags. What makes this relationship feel good to you? Friendships, everything else, you know, teachers, parents, and how do we cultivate that more in our society and our culture? So mm -hmm. that program has been incredibly successful. Last year, we served over 1,175 children in Martin County, really reaching all of that youth. And our hope is that as we're in the middle schools, it's a reoccurring program that, you know, the more you are saturated with information, the more comfortable you become. They also is it, have is it, Michelle, is, it, is, 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 is this, this healthy relationships conversation that ensues, is it, is it done through adults kind of you know talking through what healthy relationships are or is it uh more teen driven that our teens come in and talk about what healthy relationships are with younger children so that maybe they can identify you know how does what's the model 
So our presenter, our <laughs> specialist is an adult. However, part of this, your program is a subset of your leaders. So they, she does bring in youth from the community, middle school and high school students who meet once a month or more than that and devise community programs and community awareness. They have a Facebook page and an uh, Instagram now. I'm dating myself a little bit. I think Facebook is kind of going by the wayside, but they really do a lot to be able to support each other once a month. They have a forum where they can all log on now during COVID. Prior to that, it was in person. I think we've just this year gone back into the schools in person and back into meeting with our after school programs. So the teens really drive that movement. We sit and discuss with them, how do you think we can best get this information out to your peers? And how do we get you to be peer mentors to be able to say when something is happening, you know, without in involving yourself in a violent situation, but how can bystanders be effective and how can you support people who may be experiencing some, some parts of unhealthy relationships? And it's done really well. And I think it's a great model. We'd like to mimic it in all three counties and at some point we will, but mm. we are one of the only domestic violence centers in the state that has um, collaborative agreement with the school board to be able to go in for eight weeks. So kudos yeah. to Martin County School Board for really recognizing how important this is for our youth and how mm. impactful it will be as our society grows to know that mm. this is something that they're really being exposed to early on. Well, and, and, and Michelle, um, given, given uh, the pandemic that we find ourselves in, have you seen an increase in domestic uh, assaults and domestic violence? Has it been abated in some way? Uh, I would assume, and grant, granted, I'm well aware of the word assume, what that means, um, um, but, you know, the understanding that in some way with people being, you know, at home shelter or, you know, being, uh, uh, as, as we saw in terms of, you know, a slight lockdown in some way, would that have an increase uh, more of frustration, anger, uh, taking it out on others, I, did you guys over the last year and a half, have you seen more of an increase during the pandemic? I think so. I think initially we saw a decrease in calls for people actually needing shelter and um, calls in general because survivors or victims were not alone in their homes. So it made it really difficult for people to reach out. So the level of crime, I think, increased. And with people being in the home together and loss of jobs, and the, I, the experiences of the pandemic really mimicked and mirrored some of the experiences of people living in domestic violence. So it was certainly mm -hmm. very heightened. As some of the things have relaxed, our, we've seen an increase in calls. We've seen an increase in shelter stays. For maybe that first eight or nine months, it was really um, us trying to pivot. How are we gonna provide these services to people safely? Can we provide services to people safely? I don't know if everyone recalls, but I, the first day of school, last school year, 2020, a victim of domestic violence was murdered on Zoom while the child was in the class in our county. So even thinking through that, we really had to think not only we know domestic violence affects the family members and your friends and work, but that affected an enormous amount of people and the trauma involved in that. And we wanted to ensure what we were doing was safe. 
um, court hearings went to virtual. We had victims come into our office to be able to do it safely because there weren't really spaces to do that. So mm -hmm. our numbers decreased a little bit early on, and now we have seen an incredible uptick on phone calls and people needing shelter services. And being able to talk through, like I said, when the um, homelessness concerns, stuff that we, we didn't have to deal with as much before, but trying to find housing now is near to impossible. Mm -hmm. So even if you come into shelter where we used to have um, many avenues to help people find housing, they're just not available anymore. Mm -hmm. So trying to work through some of that and these new hurdles on top of all the existing hurdles that victims of domestic violence go through. I'm hoping we have like hit the tip of the iceberg and now we will slowly decline back into being able to provide services. I think most agencies have really done a fabulous job. Um, mm -hmm. All of our local social service agencies by pivoting to try to serve people in this very difficult time. Well, and, and, and Michelle, you know, in, in, in today's world of 2021, you know, almost transitioning to 2022, are there new challenges uh, and, and new hurdles that, that you and certainly Safe Space have recognized and saying, wow, this, this wasn't here 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Um, you know, what are some of those new realities or, or, or new, new hurdles or, or, or challenges, um, you know, facing us today? I think a lot of them involve um, financial needs of victims of domestic violence. Some of the things we never really thought were that impactful before that we could manage to work through and find services. Um, even being able to deal with that added trauma. You know, we are a very trauma-informed organization and we work hard to be accessible and culturally responsive. So some of the... Um, some of the culture of the world right now has really brought on people who the layers of trauma are multiplied. You have domestic violence, but then you may have some cultural things going on and then financial, even I finding employment or even for us in our work, finding people to do this work. I think people mm -hmm. reevaluated their life a lot during this pandemic and really sat back and thought, you know, I want to do something light or something that makes me happy. And a lot of jobs were opened up. So finding advocates that want to do this work and want to stay and do this work has been a little bit of a hurdle for us internally to make sure we're providing the best services to everyone that we can with educated you know, staff that really wanna be here and want to help. So our biggest, um, our, our, the biggest thing I think survivors are missing is that sense of safety and home and being able to provide for their families and their children. And, and just for, uh, you know, those of our listeners that may not be aware, um, you know, on, 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 a, on a, if, I, if I could say a lighter note, um, who funds you? I mean, how, how is the organization funded? And, you know, are there others in our community where maybe you know, for those that may be listening, maybe you're inspired and you'd like to help in some way. I mean, how's the organization funded and what can, what can others in our community do to support uh, an organization like Safe Space? Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, we are initially, our funding, uh, the bulk of our funding comes through state and federal dollars. We are funded under the Victims Against Crime Act and Department of Children and Families, Florida State 
um, Florida's state budget is built in to fund domestic violence centers overall, but most of that funding is has a match requirement to it. So for mm. us to stay solvent and open and thriving, we really do look to other spaces to fund. So we're very fortunate in all three of our counties to have great partners that partner with us. United Way is one, Children's Services Council. So we, um, the BOCC in St. Lucie. So we do get a lot, but it is never enough. There's mm. never enough. I mean, we, you know, we do um, really look to the public to really look at this. We know it's not, um, it's not a glamorous issue to take part of and fund, but it is such a need and it impacts our communities more than I can say. The cost of domestic violence to Martin County alone is over $14 million a year. Wow. When you really wow. look at it statistically in the average of victims and we go from the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. So where people don't think it impacts them, it does. It impacts us as a society economically and mm. what we are spending. I, um, we've been very fortunate to have donors who have rebuilt our shelters and you know, really um, left endowments. So that's something we really look for because the more of that that is provided to us, the more we can really do for moms or fathers with children. We can help them get housing. We can help them get a car and really think past, give them that support for that six, seven months to really be able to do it on their own. And without, you know, money is in and of itself a level of power and it does give people the ability to thrive and be able to make some choices. So many of our survivors have never gotten to make choices. Yeah. Have you, I mean, you must have some success stories of, you know, women or, or men that have undergone, you know, the treatment and certainly, you know, the program and have come back perhaps maybe years later to say, you know, safe space, I can't thank you enough because you got me out of a very dark and very complicated and very challenging situation to now I can stand on my own two feet I am empowered. I am strong. I I I don't take guff. I I I live my life uh, the way that I I should have lived my life. I mean, you must have success stories. I do. I have some great stories of people. I think advocates as a whole, we're we're a pretty humble bunch. So it's not about our successes. You know, we're just still doing the work every day. But I have seen. I'll give you an example. I had a mom that I've worked with since I've been here. I think she was in shelter, mom of three when I came into the work and she was in shelter and we provided services. And after she left shelter, I think she was there for quite some time because we did have some trouble getting housing. So she was eventually able to move into HUD housing in Martin County and her and her children lived there. She worked at Walmart for many years, put herself through nursing school. And it took about five years that whole time. She continued to meet with us, come to support groups. We continued to provide holiday assistance to her through food and gifts for children and stuff that she would not have been able to do, going to school and doing everything, oftentimes gas cards things that she needed throughout those five years to maintain. And I heard from her maybe about eight months ago, she's graduated nursing school, her and the children have moved. She did have stay in touch with her ex as court ordered for visitation. And I think he finally fizzled away. So it, you know, when it was really stressful in the beginning that she would have to have the kids with him, 
he did just stop showing up. So there was that. And it was, it's great. She's living, you know, her best life right now. And I think she will say, and she's actually did a speaking engagement for us not long ago. Mm. So it, it's exciting. And you, you do feel this sense of, wow, look at what someone can do when, but it, it took five years, you know, and that's sometimes what we forget. It's not a quick fix. It's not mm-hmm. something. And it took five years of really staying in services to have someone there to help her be resilient, to help her learn those coping skills. Oh, wow. So we have a wow. lot of those really great, warm. It's great. The kids of all one is graduated high school. So it's really I'm in college, first time college student in a family. So it's it's very exciting. And, and and if folks if folks wanted to volunteer and help within the organization, are there volunteer opportunities? Um, you know, within Safe Space, there are. There's a couple levels of volunteers. We use a lot of interns. So because we are bound by state statutes, some volunteers to do direct service work. You would need to be course certified, which is a 40 hour class, which I'm happy to do for anyone at any time if they want to volunteer. And then we also use volunteers in um, the development side where they really help us reach out to donors and figure out what we can do in the community. They do speaking engagements for us. We work to train them on that so they can educate the community on safe space and what we do. So there are many levels of volunteering and we are always happy to have the help. We all, we look for, we've been fortunate enough to have volunteers come in and do childcare for us while moms attend support groups. Uh, even Treasure Coast Home or Treasure Coast Humane Society now comes in and does a pet therapy program. So their volunteers come in. We really um, embrace anyone within our communities who would like to help this mission and be a part of this great work. Oh well, and and Michelle, just to go more on a on on a on a on a personal note in terms of given all the work that not only the institution and Safe Face does, but clearly also the work that you do, seeing it day in and day out. I could only imagine what toll that must take emotionally on ourselves of, of seeing in some way um, brokenness and, and hurt and suffering and pain and, and you know, wanting to, to, to be there and try and help um, you know, what, what's that like for you personally, uh, you know, to see it on a day-to-day basis? Some days it's hard. You know, I think it really is. Most of the time I've come up with our agency works very hard to um, make sure we provide sacred space for staff and mental health days and really look at this work is um traumatizing and we have to you know we experience vicarious trauma by listening to these stories and helping survivors I you know I've managed to make my own little way I have a a set of great peers that I go to to debrief and talk things through that I think we use each other really well to say okay today's a bad day like how do I do this some days I have to leave in the middle of the day it's just too much I feel um Right now, at this stage in my life, I think I really focus on the family that I have and how socially active they are, and watching them really stand up to injustice has brought me an enormous amount of calm and knowing that the world is going to be better, and these are the people we're leaving to make sure the world is going to be better, so... (laughs) 
you know, it's not always easy, but it is rewarding. And it is something that I think the more we acknowledge in society, the less likely it's going to be to continue. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and Michelle, looking towards the future, I mean, what's the future of safe space? What's the future of, I mean, look, in, in some way, I, I'd love to be able to say the future would be the eradication of domestic violence. But you know, I, I think there, there's a difference between, uh, re, uh, you know, perception versus reality is that in the reality situations, I don't think we're ever really going to get rid of domestic violence. But how, you know, what's the future? What's the way forward? I mean, I think the future is prevention. I think our agency is really trying to um, ex- expand on our prevention programs and really start at a very young age. I also think offender accountability and being part of the state government and really lobbying to have laws changed and then look at course of control as a part of abuse and as um, an offense that can be held against someone that they can be prosecuted for really looking at how this really impacts everyone as a whole. So I would, in my perfect world, offender accountability with all of everyone, societal change really not, um, keeping looking at domestic violence like there's something a victim can do and really paying attention to if we hold offenders accountable the victims no one will question it's the only crime that we really don't always hold offenders Mm -hmm. accountable so i would like to see that i think i would like to see um more men's groups really talking about it and holding each other accountable even in um community events where churches and temples where there are men's groups do you ever bring anyone in to really talk about domestic violence we talk to Mm -hmm. a lot of women women aren't typically the ones that are perpetrating the domestic violence Mm -hmm. so really being able to educate people as to what it is why it's happening how can we stop it how can we support it Mm-hmm. Great. Um, you know, in terms of having uh, accountability partners in some way, um, you know, uh, uh, are there are there folks who from the organization that will, you know, either stop by or make calls, you know, Frank, you know, Sharon, I just wanted to call. How are you today? Is today okay? Do you feel safe? I mean, are there follow-up calls that are that are constantly made just to ensure safety? for those that um, that are in challenge? Absolutely, I think when victims become part of our services, then we will reach out and, you know, it is survivor focused. So we want them to want the services. We certainly, you know, are hopeful that they become resilient and build those coping skills, but we do reach out and that same as they can call our hotline and they know that. And even every advocacy meeting we reiterate, if you're just having a bad day, just call, they'll talk. They'll sit on the phone with you for an hour. You can talk about, you know, the things that are bothering you because oftentimes it doesn't resonate that something really small may have bothered me, but really connecting it to all of the abuse that they've suffered. So we and, are and here. With, and Michelle, within the organization, I mean, are, are there are there confines or, or or restrictions in some way that if look if I've been abused. And I come to you and I explain my case and everything else. And I feel the support and say, you know, I got a friend, Mark, is experiencing the same thing. Does my friend Mark have to come to you or can the organization go on hearsay to follow up just to ensure that somebody else is not being abused? 
We would not. We would probably uh, ask the person calling to have them call us because we we are we want them to want the services. So I think that's it. I I mean, if I saw someone who was abused, I would certainly, as an advocate, say, "Is there anything going on? Anything I can help you with?" But I do think we really try to have the survivor reach out to us if somebody would call us and say they're waiting on you to call those calls we would make we okay. make calls from law enforcement we receive law enforcement reports and call them directly to say we have this report and ask if they're interested in services yeah well okay so michelle and and, and also in terms of having clergy um you know, I, I, I feel fairly safe in, in, in volunteering Father Anderson. I certainly volunteer myself. You know, are there are there times where, you know, the organization may reach out to priests, pastors, vicars, rabbis to say, you know, we, we you know, if you have the time, we'd love to be able to have a one on one with some of our victims to be able to talk through maybe, um, um, you know, faith based, you know, how they're struggling or what faith can do. Uh, to, to try and help um, and give comfort? Absolutely. And especially, and, and that's one of the things we assess when we talk about culture being culturally responsive. It, are there clergy we can reach out to? Is there someone you feel comfortable talking to? It, it, does your faith play a big part in your life? And how can we connect you to the right people to speak with? And we'd also welcome having speaking engagements. And we go in and speak to clergy. We would also love for them to come in and speak to survivors at a support group we would just let them know beforehand that this is what we're having and they are 100 we we want to make sure we are as culturally responsive as possible and giving them every avenue they would need to work through and heal um, well amazing so as we are um as we are winding down and running a little bit out of time you know michelle if people wanted to learn more about you and the organization um how would they do that so they could go online and look up safe space um, in Stewart, or they could also call our hotline anytime um, at, uh, I'm trying to think, 1-800-288-7023. Um, any, any way that they could think of, we're on any social media avenue. They could also send a text through social through our hotline to be able to call if they can't, if they don't have access to a phone, but mm. they could certainly reach out to us, whatever works for them. They can also just stop in our admin office and they'd probably get me. So well, <laughs> if they're amazing. interested in talking to me, I will be there and I would probably be the one to step in and talk to them. So oh, any way that works. Well, Michelle, um, uh, on behalf of a priest and a rabbi, uh, I, I thank you for joining us this morning. I think it has been enlightening. I think it's been uh, very informative. Um, you know, for me, certainly as a rabbi, I think one of the things that, you know, I try and impress upon people, especially given, you know, domestic violence, is that it is not your fault. Uh, and do not blame yourself and seek help when we can, because there are many in our, in our area uh, that are experiencing the same. You are not alone. It is not your fault. Um, seek help. We have great institutions like Safe Space. Access them, please. And uh, uh, we, we wish everyone a wonderful and a restful rest of the week. And join us next week for uh, the next installment of uh, Priest and a Rabbi, Season 16, uh, uh, Episode 42. We'll see you next week.